Professor uh, Michael Danino, uh, the star of the day, the celebrity for whom the whole audience has been eagerly waiting. Uh, he's ready with his paper, uh, Professor uh, Mitchell uh, Danino. Uh, before he starts, uh, let me just remember uh, the importance given in uh, Vedas and Vedic mantras uh, for water. Uh, the mantra pushpa that here you hear every day in all the temples during pujas, where you keep hearing the refrain, Yopa Mayatanam Veda Ayatanavan Bhavati is all about water. It just says that who realizes that water is the uh, location, abode for everything, he will get the abode. He will get the uh, stability. He will get all the residents. Yo apam ayatanam veda. Ayatanam is uh, residence location. Uh, who realizes that water is uh, the abode of everything? Ayatanavan bhavati. He gets uh, the location for himself. And uh, there is so much about all this uh, that can be talked about. But uh, before that, we cannot wait for Professor uh, Michel Danino's uh, wonderful paper. Sir, over to you. Um, namaste, Professor Nagaraj. Uh, thank you very much for having me. I'm not certainly not going to be the star of the day. That would be either Dr. Nandita Krishna or Dr. Chitra Madhavan. Uh, I'm actually going to provide an anticlimax to Dr. Chitra's uh, presentation, uh, where she has uh, beautifully highlighted the, the, the glory of uh, uh, you know, water management in, in ancient India and how we have neglected all these traditions. Um, in fact, uh, this is my starting point in a way, because what I want to uh, briefly speak about is a kind of taking stock. And uh, first of all, I would like to say that I was uh, sensitized to issues of nature and uh, nature conservation, uh, environmental degradation in, in Tamil Nadu uh, for uh, uh, quite a lot of years when I was residing in the Nilgiris and near Koimato. So I've been uh, aware of the ground situation and um, you know how uh, um, some few people were trying to remedy it. But the kind of uh, general neglect and indifference and apathy uh, in among you know average Indians uh, was something that I could not easily understand or, or relate to. So on the one hand, we have those fantastic traditions, uh, very rich that, you know, Dr. Nandita Krishna has given a, a great uh, overview of them. Uh, no doubt about this. And uh, they are also part of some of my courses here at IIT Gandhinagar. Um, and uh, certainly we have these very lofty concepts uh, which we can see in the text as well as uh, in, in, in the, the uh, the monuments and the, what uh, Dr. Chitra has shown us now. Uh, all this is, and archaeology has brought up a lot more evidence about water management. All this is undeniable. And it extends also, uh, you know, to traditions which are not strictly speaking Vedic. For example, tomorrow morning, my old friend Tarun Chabra will uh, tell us about the Toda traditions, the traditions of the Toda tribals. Uh, they are not, there is no sign of contact with the Vedic tradition, and yet uh, you have a, a, a 
complete compatibility with the Vedic worldview, which is the case of most pagan traditions the world over. Uh, if you look at uh, Native Americans, you could say pretty much the same thing. Um, uh, in fact, this was also some of my early writings, uh, not only just on this uh, heritage of, of, of you know, environmental um, consciousness, but also about the contrast between the Judeo-Christian worldview and approach to nature, where nature is at the service of man and created to be at the service of man. This is what the Bible tells us, and the completely different uh, Hindu Buddhist uh, Jain approach. Uh, and I wrote a few pieces about that. But what concerns me today is something a little bit different. It is, it is to uh, have a slightly sharper focus on that neglect and that um, degradation uh, we, from, from that uh, classical period of India, let us say, where we see, for example, the same, uh, you know, devout Hindus worshipping Ganga and yet uh, not hesitating to pollute Ganga either by discharging industrial uh, affluence or um, uh, placing corpses in the river, which is actually something which the classical text uh, explicitly forbade uh, but uh, we, we don't read them, of course, uh, and uh, the, the, the list can go on. We regard water as sacred, but we waste it on a colossal scale. Uh, our whole farming agriculture in India has uh, been extremely wasteful of, of water resources, and we are going to, to have very severe uh, water crisis in, in India, without a doubt. It's already upon us. We worship animals in many ways, and Dr. Nandita Krishna again told us about that, but we treat them cruelly, uh, we slaughter them, uh, we do not actually practice uh, all, all these lofty concepts. Uh, I remember, if I may just put in a small anecdote, um, uh, a meeting with an industrialist of uh, Tirupur, uh, the, the you know huge garment industry of Tirupur near Coimbatore, uh, where uh, and, and this was among, let us say, nationalist-minded uh, industrialists. There was a meeting, and uh, they were definitely nationalists, very patriotic and very, very pro-India and wanting India's development in all spheres. And the question I asked him was, you know, uh, you, this industry in Turku has, has extremely uh, severely uh, polluted the whole environment. It has polluted the groundwater. Uh, the water table is, is gone. Um, agriculture is impossible. Farmers suffer from skin diseases or kilometers around. Um, why do you not, uh, as industrialists, responsible industrialists, take the lead in treating your, your effluence? The technology exists. There's nothing mysterious about it. You can do it. And, and probably the government would be ready to help to some extent and so on. And his reply was so symptomatic. He said, we will not do it unless the government makes it compulsory. That was all he had to say. Uh, you know, he acknowledged fully, honestly, if I may say so, uh, that uh, there, there, there was a complete dichotomy. Um, on the one hand, you want your country to do well. On the, on the other hand, you are destroying it. And, and that is how it is. And, uh, and you're not going to take uh, action, remedial action, unless you're forced to. So this is this mindset I want to look at. And, and the result is that even though we've had some environmental awakening in the last few years because the crisis is growing so severe, we're still lagging 
behind the West a lot in, in the, the amount of environmental awareness we should be having. So uh, you still find a lot of proud uh, Indians, proud Hindus often, uh, you know, wanting development at any cost and looking at environmental activists as basically anti-nationalists. And uh, this is a tragedy. And, and of course, everybody has got an ideology and some of the environmental activists uh, uh, may have sometimes uh, a fairly you know, far left oriented ideology, but not always. They are very genuine people too. Um, uh, you know, we had Sundarlal Bahuguna, uh, and, and you cannot accuse him of being a leftist, but nobody actually uh, actively supported him. And while the government, the, the politicians paid lip service uh, to his campaigns, uh, they were actually working in the opposite direction. So, so uh, all of this, plus uh, this uh, complete absence of pride in heritage that Dr. Chitra Madhavan was just referring to, uh, is part of the same syndrome. And we have to call it a syndrome, and we have to look at it squarely in the face. Otherwise, if we do not honestly look at it, we are acknowledging that all these beautiful traditions that we take pride in are basically of no use and they're dead or they're good for museums. They are museified as, as I often say, we are accepting the museification of Indic traditions. So do we, uh, are we satisfied with this situation or do we propose to do something about it? If we want to do something about it, first of all, we should understand the causes in depth. And I think, that apart from the general tendency to apathy and lethargy of human nature, which is something uh, not specifically Indian, um, uh, uh, but strongly Indian too sometimes, uh, uh, you know, this tendency to just uh, take things easy and, and not uh, wanting to be bothered uh, by unpleasantness, Apart from this, we have to look at the educational system. I'm not going to go back to Macaulay, but uh, I want to read one quotation from Ananda Kumaraswamy, the great art historian, early in the 20th century, who was looking at this British education and who you know, gave in, in just a couple of sentences uh, the, um, uh, the consequence of it. And, and what he said, I want to remind you, we are one century ago, hundred years ago, and he wrote, it is hard to realize how completely the continuity of Indian life has been severed by this education. A single generation of English education suffices to break the threads of tradition and to create a nondescript and superficial being deprived of all roots, a sort of intellectual pariah who does not belong to the East or to the West, a sort uh, and who does not belong to the past or to the future. The greatest danger for India is the loss of her spiritual integrity. Of all Indian problems, the educational is the most difficult and the most tragic. So this was a hundred years ago. Um, there's no use blaming the British. Uh, we can only blame ourselves since we've had uh, 75 years now to remedy the situation and we still haven't done it. Uh, the government is still sitting on a new education policy which has been you know, uh, criticized 
uh, from many angles, but which still tries to move forward. And uh, in, incidentally, to integrate something of Indian knowledge systems, but we shall see. I, want, I don't want to dilate upon uh, the, the question of education too much. Uh, there could be a lot of other causes, including, of course, economic causes. It's very difficult to expect uh, people living under uh, uh, economic strain uh, to take the lead in, in tackling major uh, environmental problems, even though sometimes they're actually the ones who are going to do it. Uh, sometimes you find humble villagers gathering, uh, as, uh, you know, uh, very modest resources to renovate a tank, uh, to reopen a channel, uh, to, to do some water harvesting. Uh, so sometimes uh, it is possible to do a lot with, with uh, uh, limited resources. But overall, what are the remedies for the situation? Uh, this is what I want to, to close my brief talk on. Um, uh, if there are uh, again, either we accept it and then we accept that our Indic traditions are dead and then we should stop uh, all this kind of talk about how glorious uh, they were. Uh, because if they're not going to help us tackle today's situation, then, then uh, there is a serious flaw with them or with us. But either way, uh, we have to accept that we are abandoning them. The point is that there are remedies, but they are difficult because they will demand some effort from us, some real work uh, and some uh, a, a complete change of attitude. Um, the first, I think, is that there has to be a much deeper understanding of all those traditions. Uh, we were given overviews today, and I believe I missed a few other speakers uh, after Dr. Nandita Krishna. So we know that a lot of concepts exist. We must study them much more closely. We must understand their linkages, how, how it was all working in the minds of um, you know, ancient Indians or Indians of the classical period. Um, not just uh, be satisfied with a few uh, quotations from texts, but looking at the totality of the system, how exactly nature was lived, uh, not just uh, textualized, but lived uh, in, in that period. So I think this requires uh, a lot of effort to, to go back to the sources and look at all the sources, not just the text, but the archaeology, uh, the, the monument uh, um, heritage, and all of that. So therefore, uh, you know, for example, uh, if instead of taking uh, children to amusement parks or, or the latest mall, uh, we should take them uh, to those uh, beautiful step wells and, and, and water tanks and pushkarinis and uh, aqueducts and, and, and all of those uh, systems which we hardly understand today. We have a lot of uh, documentation of them. There is hardly any comprehensive study. There have been a few though, and uh, at IIT Gandhinagar last year, uh, uh, there were some talks about uh, water management and the videos are available online. Um, we do not have even proper technical studies of those water structures, very, very few. And uh, because, of course, they are half destroyed to start with, so it's very difficult to recreate uh, all the data that you need uh, to, to have proper models of how they were functioning. Uh, but we do not really understand them uh, uh, fully. And um, whether you look at the, you know, the, the proto-historical Harappan period or the classical uh, step wells, 
uh, the whole water flow and renewal and, and uh, you know, how would they keep water, for example, potable uh, when it was stored for months together, there are still a lot of unresolved questions. So we should visit those places, we should uh, uh, try to increase the knowledge about them, increase the documentation, there is so much that needs to be done. Um, and then the main point is a change of mindset, a change of attitude. Uh, I've seen so many devout Hindus, again, uh, doing the opposite of what the culture would dictate. Of course, I could you know, enlarge this endlessly uh, from paying a bribe, which is, which is of course feeding a whole dharmic system, uh, something that uh, our, our whole system of ethics would normally uh, prevent us from doing, but is not uh, uh, doing that. Uh, to, for example, uh, you know, uh, fighting for Dori for one's uh, son, uh, and so much while being a very devout uh, Hindu on the side, uh, there are dichotomies in our lives. These dichotomies have to be healed. If they are not healed, uh, then uh, we will uh, be effectively uh, putting the last nail on the coffin of uh, Indic traditions. So we have to accept that these uh, concepts, these practices, because they were, they were concepts, they were knowledge systems, and they were practices. And all of these were interlinked. We do not understand the linkages very well as yet, but we have to study them and we have to accept that this is a culture that has to be lived in, in everyday life. You can enter any government office in India, you will see tube lights running all day long and air conditioners, even when there is no officer in the room. Uh, it is the same in academic institutions. Um, uh, there is a, a tremendous wastage of resources uh, and, and, you know, even uh, from agriculture to uh, all our minute gestures in daily life. Do we take every possible care to segregate our waste, to uh, minimize consumption of water and to minimize consumption altogether? Because actually this drive to consumption uh, is what is harming nature ultimately. We know it very well. We have a lot of environmentalists the world over and in India who have been telling us. Uh, and uh, I still recall uh, uh, Ernst Schumacher, the author of Small is Beautiful um, in the 1970s, that is 50 years ago, who was talking about Buddhist economics. He worked in Burma quite a bit and also a little bit in India. And, um, you know, he said that we are heading into a war. We are following an unsustainable path. And he was, I think, the creator of this term unsustainable. And he was referring to these Indic traditions. And he said, stop putting consumption at the center of your concept of development. Remove consumption and put the human being at the center. And he said that's what Buddhism was doing. He could have said Indic traditions just the same. And he said that is what we, we, if we put consumption at the center, then we are, we are following a completely flawed system of development. This was 50 years ago. Nobody listened, of course. His book was influential, though, of course, with a lot of you know, individual seekers who were looking for alternative lifestyles. But at the end of the day, governments did not listen, even though he was uh, advisor to the British government on uh, economic policies. Uh, and still today, despite the great lesson that this uh, uh, coronavirus is trying to teach us uh, where we can 
reflect upon how our whole lifestyle and when we are forced to uh, you know understand what is really important in our lives what is really essential what are the essential goods we really need uh, do we need all these malls do we need all these cars do we need all these amusement amusement parks do we need all this entertainment industry um, this is the time when we should be reflecting upon all this and we in india are privileged that we have those uh, Indian tradition to teach us. So let us accept that there is a teaching we have to put into practice. It is as simple as that. Um, we can all become activists on a very small scale, you know, turning our tap uh, when, when, when water is not uh, in use, reducing our consumption, uh, uh, educating our children uh, more meaningfully, educating ourselves more meaningfully, or joining some organization, joining maybe just this small society of flats where we are living uh, uh, to make sure that uh, uh, you know, trees are well taken care of, animals are not treated cruelly as, as they are in so many corners of India and so on. There is so much that we can do. We should never think that we, our contribution in the, on an individual scale is too small. That is not true. It is never too small. Everything, every small bit matters. And uh, I have still, I go back now to my activism days in, in the Nilgiris, where I was trying to motivate citizens of my village for the preservation of a particular forest. And I, I remember some of them very well educated people, very uh, knowledgeable about Indian traditions, you know, pleading helplessness. And they said, what can we do? We are small individuals. It's for the government to do. Uh, we are helpless and so on. And that is precisely the mindset that we have to change. Uh, it is not true. We should never wait for the government to act. Of course, we should put pressure on the government at every level, uh, whether it is for preserving uh, heritage structures or, or whether it is for having more sensible policies in, in agriculture, uh, moving away from unsustainable agricultural practices or economic practices. But uh, we have to start in our own daily life. If we do not do that, if we do not change our, uh, our mindset every minute of the day, then we will not succeed in saving those Indic um, traditions from oblivion. They will end up being studied as museum objects by scholars, but they will not have any applicability. Whereas they have, I'm convinced, a considerable potential to change us and to change India, and maybe to give some teaching to the rest of the world. But first of all, we must begin at home. Thank you very much. That was uh, the anticlimax that um, I have to apologize for in a way because I'm striking a negative note, uh, but it is not negative. I do mean it to be a positive message um, based on my own uh, uh, experience of life in India. And uh, uh, well, I think uh, it is for us to do what we want with it. Thank you very much. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you. And uh, I forgot to thank you, Hare Kiramzi, for having me today. Um, uh, I hope you will not regret. <laughs> not at all, not at all. Like I told you, uh, when you told me that you want, to, uh, you want to do this, I was very happy and I want to share this with uh, the listeners also that uh, uh, Michel, uh, when I asked him to speak, uh, he did tell me that he was going to be critical about our uh, uh, what we are doing. I said, please do that because we really need to have a mirror 
uh, at our face and then then actually see we have a glorified past but we have to live our glorified past in the present and we don't do that enough so thank you so much that was a good uh, knock on the head for all of us thank you thank you so much Michelle. thank you Arikha.